0: interesting how uh, in the closest relationship I have with women in my family, meaning my wife and my daughter, uh, they are very quiet people. Uh, the Lord has blessed me with a quiet wife and a quiet daughter. Now, gentlemen, I, I, I don't know what you did in your last life, but if you don't have one, that's not my fault. Uh, but I can tell you that it's hard to know when you're in trouble with a quiet wife. They don't let you know. So you have to read the body language, or you have to read the looks, and sometimes you have to really pay attention to when you're in trouble. You know what I mean, guys? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, however, though, God has blessed us with some amazing granddaughters that are incessantly talking. They don't stop. I think they they dream and they speak in their dreams. Uh, Patty is sleeping with Meredith this week when she's a, she's a spring break with uh, with uh, Amy and and her two children. And but anyway, they're very they're very talkative little girls and they never stop talking. And uh, I can remember a time when. I was in the room with everyone else, and and, and little girls especially always want the attention. They always want you to be watching them so that when you do something spectacular, you can applaud and you can, you know, give a report, you know, that kind of thing. And and, uh, one of the granddaughters, just talking incessantly, uh, I wasn't listening. I was involved in something else and to my surprise this little little girl walks up to me and kind of leans over and takes my face and puts both hands on my face like this and she turns my head to her so we're looking like this and she said are you listening to me and i had to be honest honey i was not listening to you i was distracted i'm sorry what were you saying Repeat it, please. And I got to thinking about sometimes, I think that's what God needs to do to, to us. He just needs to kind of put both hands on our, on our faces and lock eyes and say, are you listening to me? Because it's, it's no wonder that in the world that we live in, we're so easily distracted and so overly preoccupied. And we've got thoughts in our, in our head. And if you're like me, you have three or four going on at the same time. That's why some of you were just astounded. I was able to maintain concentration when we had our our invasion last Sunday morning. If you weren't here, you you missed it. You need to come every Sunday because you never know when something exciting is going to happen in Emmanuel Baptist Church. Amen? I mean, that guy came straight down there and right down here and sat right here and threw money at me. And uh, we were going to have a tip jar up here this morning, but I forgot to make it. So if you want to leave me a tip while I'm preaching, just come on up and throw it in here. Or you can throw it to my feet. That's all right. I don't need a tip jar. But, uh, you know, Lincolns and, and, and anyway, it was exciting, wasn't it? Uh, never a dull moment at Emmanuel Baptist Church when you're in kingdom work. But God is always speaking. But I wonder if we're always listening. And God spoke through his word in Genesis chapter 1. We saw it last week from the book of Hebrews beginning with verse 1 of chapter 1. And he says to us that God spoke long ago. And we identified that voice long ago when we went all the way back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And we identified the voice of God And the voice of God we learned last week is so incredibly powerful that he simply just speaks a word and something is created out of nothing. Something is created out of nothingness just by the spoken power of the word of God. And God spoke Trinitarian. He spoke God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit spoke. And the power of his word created all that we know in this universe and in this life. He spoke with an incredible and intentional purpose, and that purpose leads us to his plan and his objectives that we have a responsibility then to follow and to abide by. But today we're going to take a look at a passage in Hebrews again, which is the springboard for this study on listen, listening to God. We're going to learn that, that sometimes God speaks Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Spirit, but there are times when simply one of the three speaks, and today Christ, the Son of God, is going to speak. He is the final revelation of God the Father to mankind. There's not another word more supreme nor superior than Christ himself. And he speaks to us not only in his works, but he speaks to us in his words. And we have recorded for us both the works and the words of Christ, but we have a tendency, I think, to think that Christ is is no longer working and that Christ is no longer speaking, but he is doing exactly the opposite of that. He is doing both for he still works individually in our lives and he still speaks individually into our lives. And so we're going to take a look at that text. So I invite you to join with me in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to stand in honor of God's word, kind of stretch our legs and our minds and our hearts for a moment, and then we'll enter the text. In Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, notice that the word of the Lord says Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to be challenged by your word. Speak to us in this sacred place. We know that you're present. We, your people, are here, and you promised where two or three are gathered in your name that you would be present. And in your presence, we humbly bow before you this morning. We exalt you and glorify you and magnify you and praise you today for the divine creator that you are who simply spoke us into existence. What an incredible God you are, and we worship you today. We adore you today. We honor you today. God, I pray that as we open your word, that you would open our minds and hearts. Help me communicate what is here. It's a complicated passage for us to understand in this modern world that we live in, and yet your word is, is eternal. It transcends culture and time and, and, and even our lives. So, Lord, speak. Clearly, distinctly, help us understand and to walk away with transformational truth that will change our lives, for we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. please be seated. Uh, this passage in John 10 that I want us to look at in a minute, begin with verse one, is a passage that sort of is set up by John nine. It's interesting that the apostle John S- Seer, in, in this re- record of his word, kind of kind of goes into 10 from, from chapter nine. And it's interesting here that we see in, in 9.1 where there's a man who has, who has been, it says, has is, is been blinded since birth. And, and Jesus and his disciples run across this man, and there's a discussion sort of arises because of his condition. One of the disciples says, Jesus, is he blind because of his sin or the sins of his parents? And if you're familiar with that story, you know that Jesus is neither. Uh, He is blind so that I might be glorified by my work. That's a short narration of of the whole text. And Jesus then turns to the man and he spits on the ground and he makes mud out of of the dust and his own saliva and he places that, that remedy on the man's eyes. And he tells the man to go to the pool of Siloam Wash it and he will be healed. The man does that. And it's not surprising to us because we know the power of the spoken word of Christ and what happens to those who are obedient. He goes to Siloam, he washes, and for the first time in this man's life, he sees. Imagine that. Washing and then opening and seeing the wonderful creation of the Father for the first time. That creation that we know that was that was created out of the spoken word of God. He sees it all. We know that there are some people then in the the area who began to dialogue with him. There's a conflict in regard to who healed him and why and, and when. And there's a debate over the Sabbath. And they bring the man then to the Pharisees. And there's a discussion about how and why Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath. They completely ignore the miracle. The fact that the man can now see. And as a result of that conversation, he said, I don't know Jesus. I just know that his name is Jesus. I don't know him, but his name is Jesus. And they excommunicate him from their presence. They tell him to leave. He's not welcome. Leave. Interesting that that man runs across Jesus later on. And he and Jesus have a dialogue in which the man places his faith and trust in Christ. He becomes a fully devoted Christ follower. And now he's a disciple of Jesus. And it is here in John 10 beginning with verse 1 where we see that, that Jesus now acknowledges or he now claims that he then is going to assume the name of not only a shepherd but also a savior. He addresses himself to this audience as a shepherd and as a savior. And in the address that we're going to look at today, we see that that Jesus is continuing somewhat the dialogue that he had between himself and that man. But he's also not talking to just this man who now is a new believer, a new disciple. But he's talking to all of his disciples who are present. And he's saying to this man and to those who are listening to his voice, he's saying, You may be excommunicated by man, but man has no authority. For I as the shepherd and the Savior alone have the authority to excommunicate or to expel people from the blessing of God and heaven, and I as Savior and shepherd alone have the authority to invite people and welcome them in. Man does not have that power. This is huge for us today because there are some who who claim to follow Christ, who also claim that that there is such a man on the planet who has the authority from God to either allow people in or to excommunicate people from receiving salvation. And so they want to have last rites and so forth. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is saying to us today that no one can keep us from him and no one can invite us into him except him. He alone has that power. He alone has been given that authority. And it's in this passage in John 10 where Jesus communicates first to us that he is revealing himself as the shepherd. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us, and he's saying to us, I want you to see me as your shepherd. Now, that loses somewhat of a significance for us because not many of us, if any of us at all, have ever tended to any sheep. Anybody here have a a lamb or, or a flock of sheep? We've got some people who have some acreage here and who live in the country, but look around, no one here has sheep, no one has a lamb, no one knows anything about shepherding. So we kind of use, lose some of the metaphor here because we don't know a whole lot about shepherding, much less tending to a flock of sheep. And so when, when we read this, we somehow miss the intent, I think, where Jesus is speaking to some people who are very familiar with, with the analogy and with the metaphor that he's, that he's suggesting here. A shepherd is simply someone who guides, who leads, who nourishes, who protects, and who tends sheep. Interesting that he calls himself the shepherd, and we are sheep. As we addressed last week, we're sheep. We're addressed in the Bible as some of the not-so-smart animals on the planet, which kind of makes me feel a little humbled, because there are times when when we think that we're smarter than what we really are, but the reality is that we're basically just sheep. And so here we see as Jesus communicates in the voice, he says, I am your shepherd. Now, what does that mean, I am your shepherd? There are four things I want to quickly look at in regard to the shepherding, guiding, leading, caring, tending aspect of the shepherd. First of all, when he speaks, he calls his disciples to exercise discernment. Exercise discernment in verse one in chapter ten of the Gospel of John, he says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, we, we didn't grow up in the Orient in the day of Jesus, and we probably have not visited you know, the east and, and Jerusalem and all that, but it's a very common thing then for shepherds to be tending their sheep out in the pastures during the day and then to come into the town for the evening where their residences were. And so they would bring their sheep in, these shepherds, and there was a common sheep, sheepfold or a, a common pen where multiple shepherds would share one pen. And each of these shepherds would then corral their sheep through the single door that led in to this compound that was guarded and protected by rocks that were built up in the form of a fence so that the sheep could not leave and so that predators or thieves could not easily get to their, their sheep. And there they remained for the evening, these multiple sheep from multiple shepherds or multiple herds or flocks. And they were there for the evening. Now, the intent, I think, of the words of Jesus here is an intent to describe that the sheep in this pen are protected. They are safe. They are secure. Although, while they are protected, they are safe and secure, there is someone who is lurking around who happens to be able to jump the fence and to have access to the sheep for the purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying the sheep. He intends harm. He wants to inflict pain on these sheep. They don't belong to him, and he's there for one purpose. Maybe he didn't have dinner that night, or maybe he wants to steal them to sell them. And so we have then the description of a thief who jumped over to do harm and hurt to the sheep. Now, what is Jesus saying to his disciples? He's warning them, isn't he? That even though you're in the fold and even though you're in the flock and even though you may be my sheep, I'm here to tell you that there is a danger out there. And I'm going to warn you that there is a wolf. There is, there is a lion who is seeking to devour and to destroy anyone that he can. And we must be discerning and know when the enemy is attacking. Or if we do not know when the enemy is at attack, when he is coming to inflict harm, hurt, to steal, to kill and destroy, we will be then victims of the predator. Satan and he's encouraging these sheep to exercise discipline while they're in the safety and the security of of this pen in which the shepherd has placed them and that the security is the security of salvation I believe that there's still a component in which we engage in battle there's an enemy his name is Lucifer he is Satan he is also called the devil in which we are regularly then to put our guards up and to discern and to know when he is attacking so that we can put up the defenses, and so that we can call the shepherd to guard us. So he calls for discernment. I wonder how discerning you are to the wiles of the devil. For he is certain and it is sure that he will attack, and his intent is to harm and to hurt and to kill and to steal and to destroy. It is certainly not to build up. He calls for discernment. Notice he also calls for discipline. It's interesting in the text, in the next verse, he said, but he, the shepherd, who enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. He's describing himself as the gentle or the good shepherd who is entering by the door notice the thief jumped the fence he is the shepherd and the reason why he's able to go through the door is because he is the owner of the sheep and the sheep are his and he is theirs and there's a relationship there so he doesn't have to jump the fence he doesn't have to sneak over he doesn't have to do it on the cover of night he just walks through in the morning in the bright of the day just as he's supposed to why because he has a right to these sheep but notice verse three to him the gatekeeper opens you see, in the evening, as these sheep were in the, the pen, there was one entrance and one exit, only one. They were, they were one of the same. They would often leave a, a gatekeeper or they would leave a, a watchman who would then, in the evening, he was allowed to sleep, but he would lay his body across the entrance. How'd you like to do that? Sleep on the out, open door. And uh, the reason he did that, I think, is to keep the sheep in the pen. Uh, sheep are pretty dumb animals and they might have a tendency to find an opening somehow and one go through and the other would just go through and they get lost out in the herd They, they would do that and so it was there primarily for the protection of the sheep but it was also there I think to guard and protect them from thieves from from access through that door and just for someone in to come in to rob and to kill and steal and destroy those there so notice that the gatekeeper the watchman sees The shepherd coming, and what does he do? He gets up, and he allows the shepherd to have access to the sheep. Notice, and then in the next verse, to him the gatekeeper opens. Notice the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. That's that's pretty interesting. Hear these sheep. They hear the voice of their shepherd. They're attentive to what he is saying. They, are, they know that something is coming up. They know that it's day. They're beginning to feel hungry about what you're doing right now when it was for lunch. They know that the shepherd is coming because he's come many, many times before, and he's going to call them by name. and He's going to lead them out. And not only do they attentively listen, they hear his voice. Why? Because they are his sheep. But it's interesting that he calls them by name. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as somewhat interesting, but what name do you give a lamb? Now, I've heard of people that have named cows and horses and, and dogs. but well, what name do you give a lamb? Floppy ears? Puffy? I don't know what. But, I mean, you've got several dozen sheep, and each one of those, you have a name for each one of them. I don't know, but maybe when you're out in the country and you're watching your sheep graze, you don't have anything better to do except to give your sheep names. I don't know. There's no texting. There's no cell phones. There's no access to Internet. You know, so what are you going to call that? And so they just gave them names. And each individual sheep had an individual name. Isn't it interesting to know that he knows your name? Because even though we're a whole, we're individuals. Kind of reminds me of salvation, doesn't it, to you? We were in this large pool of lost people. And he called us by our individual names unto himself. We were attentive to that call. We responded to that call. We reacted by obedience. And we came and we followed the voice that we heard as Jesus was calling us unto himself. And we put our faith and trusted him as our Savior. That's That's phenomenal analogy. It's a great metaphor. But in this concept of listening, I I see that the sheep were attentive to the shepherds ear. They heard and understood what he was saying, and they moved toward his voice because they knew that he was leading to somewhere they wanted and needed to go. And that is exactly what we must do. We must exercise the discipline that is necessary to be attentive to his voice, to hear the direction in which he is calling from, so that as we move toward him as our shepherd, we wind up where he desires that we go. It takes discipline to do that because we're going to see in a minute that there's so many voices that are out there. Notice he also calls for dedication. It says in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It's also said that in in the morning as the shepherds would gather together and all these sheep were in the pen, it, it's believed that some would stand outside of the pen. You know, at a distance, they would, they would distance themselves, one here and one there and one there and one there. And the, the gatekeeper would, would stand away from the gate and each one of the shepherds would call out to their sheep, Hey, Fluffy! Hey, Fluffy! What would Fluffy do? yeah he'd make the noise but he would hear his shepherd call his name and he would start moving toward that open gate and he started moving toward his shepherds now there were multiple shepherds there but he heard his name called by the shepherd that he knew and he moved toward that shepherd ignoring all the other distractions of the other shepherds calling other sheep he knew the voice of his shepherd how did he know Because he had spent time with the shepherd. I think one of the main reasons why we have a hard time distinguishing and knowing and hearing and, and following the voice of the shepherd is because we have failed to know him beyond our conversion experience. I mean, all of us in this room who've placed our faith and trust in Christ heard him call us by name and he redeemed us and he rescued us and he reconciled us to the father and now we have a an intimate love relationship with him and we heard that voice and we responded to that we moved to it and we came down and we we placed our faith and trust in christ and we were saved but that's that's the extent of our knowledge of him we've not taken the time to spend time with him being dedicated to an intimate love relationship and building that relationship so that we can hear and distinguish his voice from all the other voices and because we've starved that relationship, we've not taken the time to cultivate that relationship. We, we, and this is what I find of somebody, says, well, how do I know when God is speaking? Spend time with him and you'll know when he's, when he's speaking. If you don't spend time with him and get to know him, you won't know when he's speaking. And when you don't spend time with him, get to know him and know when he's speaking, guess what? You've got to rely upon everything and everyone else to tell you what he's saying. Don't come in here on Sunday morning and just expect me to tell you what he's saying. You listen for him, and as you spend time with him Monday through Saturday, and you sit under somebody's great Bible teaching or some poor lame excuse for teaching like I'm doing here today, you can hear the discerning voice of God, and you can follow his voice. It's not man's voice. It's not the culture's voice. It's not anyone else's voice, some politicians. It's God's voice that we need to get to know so that we can follow him. And unless you get to know him, you won't won't be able to to know when he's speaking. Because he goes before his sheep. He doesn't come behind us and whack us and get us to go. He says, follow me. And he starts walking and he's talking and he's calling. How are you going to follow him if you can't hear him? As he leads the way by going before us. And then notice then in the next verse, verse 5. And a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of a stranger. There's an aspect of discrimination, and I know the word discrimination has a tendency to convey in our culture today something really bad, but the word discrimination is a really a great word. It, it conveys this aspect of, of discernment. You're able to discern good from bad, or best from not quite so good, or a stranger from the one you know, and you're able to, to discriminate, and you know that's bad, this is good, that's not the voice of Jesus, this is the voice of Jesus, because the world that we live in is screaming at us. It's yelling at us from all sides, from within inside of our homes, from televisions and radios and internet and text and all kinds of things, and it's interesting, I, I mean, I, I'm getting tired of the ads that I'm getting. They keep competing with the voice of the good shepherd. And I've got, to, I've got to somehow figure out, you know, that's a stranger's voice. And I think, too, sometimes people have a hard time distinguishing the voice of, of the Savior and the shepherd from, from a stranger's voice. Is because the reality is we're spending too much time over here with a stranger. You follow me? We're spending too much time with a stranger than we are with a shepherd. We're, we're over here with a stranger a lot more than we are with a shepherd. And then when the shepherd's calling, we, 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 we don't hear him. It's a faint memory or, or some kind of small voice, but we're over here becoming familiar with things and places and people and all that that we shouldn't be, and they're, they're strangers because they're not of our flock, they're not of our fold, they don't follow our shepherd. And so he's saying, you should flee from that. Run. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. And so he becomes then the shepherd that speaks into our lives. But he also speaks as a Savior. It's interesting, the voice of Jesus, he speaks not only as a shepherd, but as a gracious Savior. Grace is simply unmerited favor. And he then speaks as a Savior. He's beginning to change metaphors now in this very simple narrative where he kind of takes a turn. And he says, now I, I've told you about me as the shepherd. Now I want to I tell you about me as the Savior because I not only have the voice of a shepherd, I also speak as a Savior. And he says four things about the voice of the Savior. First of all, as the voice of the Savior, he offers admission into the fold. He says, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am this is one of the many I am's that Jesus declares himself to be I am the great I am I am the the only one there is no other one but me I am the sole one who is the door I am the one there are not multiple doors not multiple ways not multiple paths there's only one way to get into the fold to become a part of the flock to be to, for him to be our shepherd is through Jesus It's similar to what he said in John 14, 6, I am the I am in that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except, how? Through me or by me. The only way to have access to the Father and the only way to be invited into the fold and into the flock and be one of the sheep is through Jesus. There is no other way. I don't care what our culture says. There is no other way except Jesus. All other ways are nothing but heresy and they're false Christ. And they follow a false shepherd who is not the true shepherd, Jesus. And so he offers admission. When you buy a ticket to go to, to a movie or to a concert or to an event, the only way to get into the event is what? You've got to have the ticket. They're not going to let you through the door. I'm here to tell you the only way to get into heaven and the only way to be a part of the flock and the fold and to be a sheep with the rest of the sheep that follow thee, one true shepherd, is to know Jesus and to have placed your faith and trust in Christ. Without him, you don't have a ticket to get in and you will not be let in. He offers admission. He offers assurance. Notice, for those who have a ticket, he says, I am the door. He repeats himself and he says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. If anyone enters by me, it, it has sort of a tone of a personal responsibility here to me if anyone it's a personal thing it's an individual thing it's not a group decision it's not a family decision it's an individual decision where I must individually personally stand accountable before God as he calls my name I respond to him and I move toward him and once I move toward him notice he will save me if I act right know what it says? He will save me if I feel like I'm saved. Or he will save me if somebody tells me I'm saved. What does it say? He will be saved. He will be saved. Once I know Christ and I have a ticket to get in and I'm part of the whole, there's nothing that I can do to ever lose or forfeit my salvation. Nothing. It's not about what I do, it's about what he has done for me, and it seals and settles and, and establishes my eternal security once and for all. It's similar to that which the the, the, the young guy who sold everything he had and went and sold, you know, and, and wasted it away. And then when he repented, what happened? He came back and found what? The father waiting for him the whole time. But you know what's interesting about that story? There's not a single time where the scripture ever said that the father stopped being the father of the son. My two sons bear my name. Unfortunately, my daughter doesn't bear my name anymore. <laughs> I still have her in my iPhone, Amy Boswell. <laughs> I'm a hard sell. I, I, I knew her first, but, but she's still my daughter. And they're still my sons. And there's nothing they can do to change that. There's nothing I can do to change that. Even if I disown them and write them off and someone else adopts them, they're still my children. And I think what he's speaking into our lives today is there's some of us here this morning who, for whatever reason, feel like that, they're, that, that I'm not saved. Have you ever listened to the satanic lie where Satan comes in and he whispers, you're not saved. You can't be saved. That's not the way Christians act. That's not what believers do. Now, that thought that you thought, man, you're not saved, because if you were saved, you really wouldn't think that. Has anybody woken up in the middle of a sweat, in the middle of the evening? You know, you've been in bed, and you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden you're, man, am I, is all of this, am, am I really saved? If I died tonight, would I make it? Now, there are some of us who probably need to question that and need to come to terms with that, but for the most of us, I think, once we place our faith and trust in Christ, our eternal destiny is secure, and the enemy, I think, many times, the Spirit convicts and sometimes tells some who think they're saved, they're not saved, and granted, I believe in that, but I think there are most of us and many of us who need to come to terms with our eternal security. You're only saved once. You don't need to keep inviting Jesus into your heart again and again and again and again and again. And it really troubles me when I talk to somebody and say, well, I, I need to invite Jesus into my heart. Really? Yeah. This is my sixth time. How many times does it take you to get it right? I'm going to ask you, how many times does it take you to get it right? One more time. How many times does it take to get it right? Once. J.D. Greer came out with a new book, Stop inviting Jesus into your heart. It created a lot of controversy. I bought the book. We're talking about it at the last Southern Baptist Convention. A lot of pastors were worried about it. And basically, what he's saying is, you don't have to invite Jesus in your heart over and, over and over and over and over and over again. It's a one-time deal. You don't lose it. It's about what he has already done, not about what you do. And thirdly, he offers access to God. It's interesting that we find in the text, He says, and will go in and out and find pasture. It's 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 about a sheep who gets to go in and out. When before there was a gatekeeper and he he was not allowed to go in and out at will. He had someone always there keeping him in or keeping him out. But now he's saying you got the freedom now. And I think what Jesus is saying is you now have complete access to God. There is no go-between between between you and God. Christ is the only mediator that we need. And once we placed our faith and trust in him, guess what? We have the joy and the privilege and the honor and and the opportunity to go to him. And when we come to him, notice it says we will find what? Pasture. Now, how many of you are looking forward to leaving here and go outside and, and get on all fours and start jumping on some grass here in a minute? Anybody wanting to do that for lunch? You know, we look at pasture. What does that mean? I'm, I've chewed on some grass blades before, but I've never eaten any intentionally. He's saying you'll find all the provision that you need. It's available. And he will provide it. All that you need. And if you don't, he doesn't provide it for you, you probably don't need it. I think most of us could do without a far less than what we already have. But notice he also offers abundance. Interesting, Jesus concludes by saying that the thief comes, he reminds them only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Great passage. Why did he come? He left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, to only die on a cross, to be raised from the dead three days later, and to ascend to the Father after that. For what purpose? Why did he come? So he may have life. That word may have life is in the present active. It's in the present active. The life that we have in Christ is not a futuristic thing, it's a present reality. It's a present reality. I think sometimes we look so forward to the future things that we're going to be seeing in the future reality that we forget that salvation is a present reality even today. For we will presently have life. The word life is a great word. It simply means exuberance, joy, energy, vitality, life. With Jesus we have life. Without Jesus we really don't have a life. We don't have these things. But we have life, how? Abundantly. The word abundantly is a beautiful word that simply says exceptional, exponential, extraordinary, over-the-top, life to the max. That's the life we have with Him. Not only a, a future expectation of an eternal life after the grave, but a present reality in which we have an abundant life today. And yet, I wonder why we aren't living today in a present reality in the abundant life. I think many times we forfeit the abundant life that Christ came to give us because we're listening to strange voices and we're following strange shepherds that are leading us into foreign places that are robbing us of the abundance that Christ died so that we could enjoy. And we forfeit the purpose for which He came. And we're no different than the young man who sold his inheritance. To follow some dream that had no purpose in the plan of his father. So, as we close, let me ask you: We have that last last slide up there, if you would. Jesus is speaking today. So the question is: Will you accept the Savior's claim, and will you answer the Shepherd's call? He's speaking today. It's a reality. The question is, are we attentive? Are we listening? Will we respond? Some of us in here will say, you know, I already know Jesus is my shepherd. I've already heard him call me by name. I've already moved toward that voice. I've already placed my faith and trust in Jesus. He's already my Savior, and he's already my Lord, and and I'm a part of the flock. I'm in the fold. I'm, I'm one of his sheep, and he's my shepherd. But I wonder how attentive you are. Are you following his voice or strange voices? Are you moving in his direction or moving away from him? Have you taken the time to know him and to commune with him and fellowship with him and interact with him so that in that knowledge, in that intimacy, you can recognize him above all the other shepherds and all the other voices and all the other distractions? And you distinctly, clearly hear him and you obediently follow the direction of his voice because that's what disciples do they follow jesus i hear you i'm following you i hear you i'm going maybe some of us might have to honestly say you know what i've never accepted the claims of christ as savior And today is the day in which you need to place your faith and trust in Christ and receive Him in your heart and place your your commitment before Him and say, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to hear your voice. I want to follow you. I want to be one of your sheep. I want to be in your flock. He's calling you by name. How will you respond? And then there's some of us this morning who have heard, but yet we still don't quite accept the claims of Jesus. Well, how is that so? I've mentioned it already we've either done something that we shouldn't have done or thought something we shouldn't have thought or we felt something we shouldn't have felt or we've, we've strayed we followed a strange voice how can his sheep follow a stranger's voice? so I must not be saved is that reality? no there's not a perfect person in this room and sometimes we all get distracted by strange voices. Sometimes we misconfuse his voice from a stranger's voice. Sometimes we make bad decisions. We go in wrong directions. We take wrong paths. We think wrong thoughts. We feel wrong feelings. We don't do the right things. And some of us think that what we've done and where we've wound up is beyond grace. But First John 1, 9 says, that if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, 19 and 20, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me today in this moment in this place he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking do you hear what he's asking you know where he's leading the question is will you follow the answer should be yes because that's what sheep do it's what disciples do they follow their shepherd Wherever He leads, whatever He asks, we follow Him. Let's pray.
1: Thank you for joining us for this broadcast of Emanuel Baptist Church. Emanuel is located at 1415 South Topeka in Wichita, Kansas and is easily accessible from all parts of the city and surrounding areas. Every Sunday morning, Emanuel offers two worship services. The first service begins at 9.30 a.m and offers a contemporary worship setting in a casual and relaxed atmosphere. Our second worship service begins at 10.50 a.m. in our worship center and is led by the Emmanuel Choir and Orchestra. Both services are centered around strong biblical teaching where the Bible is presented in a clear and relevant way. Life groups for children and adults of all ages are provided at 9.30 a.m. and 10.50 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www. IBCWichita.com That's www.ibcwichita.com